We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jane McMillan. Today on In-Depth, we're going to talk about science and discovery in current day America. My guest is the executive director of the California Academy of Sciences, Dr. Jonathan Foley. Dr. Foley is a globally recognized scientist leading a globally recognized scientific and educational institution working to understand and protect life on Earth. The California Academy of Sciences in Golden Gate Park is home to the Morrison Planetarium, the Kimball Natural History Museum, the Osher Rainforest, and the Steinhardt Aquarium, with research scientists and projects all over the world. Dr. Foley, thank you so much for being back with us on In-Depth. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. I think when we first met you uh, here on In-Depth, you had just... Yeah, I think within a few months, taken over as the executive director of the Academy of Sciences. And mm-hmm. I want to get into what uh, the Academy is doing now, the global reach it has in uh, biodiversity and studies and discoveries, and also what folks can see when they go to the Academy. Um, but I wanted to start first with, as you are a, a globally known scientist, I wanted to start first with your reaction to what the scientific community is facing these days. We have a new administration in Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have majorities uh, on the Hill in both the Senate and Congress in which there is a challenge to what we've been taught is factual and scientific. Uh, Ideology is playing a much bigger role in policy and challenging science and, and fact ideology is. And so... Scientists are trying to get together and and push back a little bit. There's a big march being planned for Mm -hmm. Washington on Earth Day. But as a globally known scientist and as the leader of one of the premier research facilities in the world, what are you feeling? What are you hearing? What are you seeing in terms of the challenges and can they be faced down? Well, I'm I'm just incredibly alarmed. Uh, we've never seen anything like this before. Um, as science has always had strong kind of bipartisan support. In fact, uh, many Republican presidents and administrations have been the best champions of science we've ever seen. Uh, George H. W. Bush, for example, I'd count among the best science presidents, or even Richard Nixon and many others. So this isn't like a partisan thing. It's just a really dumb thing. I mean, um, you know, America's not stronger and not a better country when we're, uh, we're you know we're not going to be great again. If we cut funding for medical research, uh, or if we eliminate whole programs around renewable energy that create jobs in places like California, or if we get rid of people who keep our water safe and our air clean, that isn't making America great. It's making America dumb. Um, How could anybody think that's a good idea? And then on top of that, we seem to have politicians now who aren't even apologizing for just making stuff up. Um, the idea of alternative facts that you know you can have two sets of facts just based on what you want to believe. Well, you know, science doesn't care what you want to believe. Science tells you what the facts are, <laughs> and, uh, or at least how to find them out. And um, so this is just a really strange and strange and 
well, frankly, dangerous time for our country uh, that we have to raise the alarm bells. And I, I worry that um, this, somehow this becomes partisan when it absolutely is not. I think facts matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, and they should matter to all of us. What do you see most at risk right now in terms of uh, research and progress on the challenges facing us in this nation? Because you've got an inside view mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Where, where we were or are in potential breakthroughs, either medically or in energy or dealing with climate change. And I will reiterate here that um, on this program, there is no doubt about climate change and the, the human well, good. Impact. So, because that's scientifically proven, I know that some folks will will say, "Well, why didn't you have the other side of that?" For our there purposes, there is not one. Yeah. yeah. So, challenging the challenge of climate change. So, mm-hmm. what is in progress right now that could be stopped or thwarted? Yeah. Well, the things I worry about the most is that I mean, there are cuts to um, apparently to all science programs that I can imagine, um, but especially targeting things dealing with the environment writ large, um, especially at the EPA, for example, monitor just basic monitoring of you know what's going on in the environment, not just climate change, but things like you know what's in our water, what's in our air, are our beaches safe, who's polluting, and tracking them down. That ought to alarm everybody because you know people are going to die because of this budget. Okay, let's just let's just say exactly what this means. People will get sick. People will die because of this kind of proposed cuts. Uh, we are also seeing cuts to things like NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. These are the folks who give you weather forecast and storm warnings and shipping warnings. People will die from that, too, if those things are cut as severely as proposed. That's just nuts. Uh, we're also seeing the elimination of a program called ARPA-E, which is a very amazing program in the Department of Energy that promotes renewable energy research. These are folks who are making the next generation solar panels and wind farms and things like that, which are creating more jobs in America than all of the coal and oil uh, drilling in America today. So this is going to hurt American jobs. So we're, we're going to hurt American lives and American jobs. On top of that, I can't even believe this, because um, the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, the most popular, probably, government agency there is among Republicans and Democrats, uh, the administration's proposing about a 20% cut to that. So that means 20% fewer cures for cancer, 20% less odds that diabetes will be cured in our lifetime, or 20% fewer efforts to combat asthma. This is going to affect all of us. This isn't just some, you know, ivory tower elite kind of, you know, research that doesn't help you. This is bread and butter stuff for all Americans, and it's pennies of the federal budget. Uh, this isn't really saving any money at all. In fact, it's going to hurt American prosperity, health, our jobs, and our economy. And um, I, you know, I think we should all be incredibly disturbed by this, especially in a place like the Bay Area that depends so much on emerging technologies and healthcare, and so on. You know, we depend on good science. And good science now depends on us stepping up for it. What about the argument that this this should all be privately funded? This, these should be private endeavors. If somebody can come up with a cure for cancer, well, good, then they'll make the money off of it. And why does it need to be government subsidized? Well, you know, there, there are some fair questions there. But I think if you ask people in industry, uh, do they really like NIH funding? They say, yeah, of course we do, because that lays the groundwork for all the discoveries that happen later in the private sector. We do have these great partnerships between you know public funding to kind of get things started, get basic research out into the world, and for things that would never get private investment. Uh, there may be cures for diseases that aren't going to be profitable, or things that necessarily have a you know a return 
return on investment in some shareholder meeting, but the world needs them anyway. So basic fundamental research has always been part of the American um, you know, economy. It's what helped us beat the Russians in the Cold War. It's what made us live longer, more prosperous lives. It's kind of the key to kind of America truly being great in the 20th and 21st century. Uh, if we cut that, I, I really worry about what the future of our country. We can't just let shareholders decide where research is going to go. We're going to miss so much. And who's going to give you the weather forecast you need, or warn you that the beaches are safe or not, and whether the water is safe to drink? You want a corporation to decide whether that's profitable or not before doing it? I don't think that's a good idea to you. You know, that's 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 not a really good thing. But of course, there could be more partnerships between the private sector and public sector, and I think we're seeing more of that. But they each have their role. And for every dollar we put into the public sector kind of research budget, it's magnified dozens and dozens of times in terms of benefits to the American economy, in terms of jobs and health and safety and security. So this is really about all Americans. Um, this is really, really important. The Academy does have scientists all over the world, and it collaborates around the mm-hmm. world in, in its research and its discoveries. What has been the American role in global advances in science and environmental studies and energy breakthroughs, and what might it be under the cuts that have been proposed in the Trump budget? Well, it will take us from a position of being the leader of the world to second rate, period, uh, overnight. I mean, young scientists right now are all looking at jobs in other countries. Uh, every young scientist I know is starting to polish their resume and say, well, uh, Canada looks pretty good right now, or maybe China or India or other or Brazil or other kind of transitioning economies. Uh, is that the kind of thing we want, a reverse brain drain you know, to people leaving uh, places like the Bay Area? Uh, the Bay Area is dependent on smart people wanting to come here to the world's best universities, the world's best tech companies, the world's best innovation in laboratory spaces ever. And that's powering not only the California economy, for sure, but the whole U.S. economy. Now you're going to have smart American kids just leaving this country because there's no opportunity for them to do good work. Uh, it really is that simple. Um, it, it's just incredible how much change there is. Now, there's, there's, now, to be fair, there are rooms for some reform and maybe shifting priorities. A new president gets to set the agenda of you know how much we invest in Earth science versus space science. And that comes and goes with administrations. But we've never ever seen a you know just a chainsaw taken to the entire federal R&D infrastructure and you know science especially targeting things that affect people's health and safety uh, this has never been seen before and it's just crazy what do you think needs to happen for people to to check into this to to plug into this and to feel the urgency that you obviously feel as a, a, a scientist who's in the midst of of what's going on why aren't more people more urgent about about this? Yeah, uh, well, that's a great question. Um, I think scientists need to do a better job of, you know, kind of communicating what we do. And, you know, first, we're Americans before we're scientists. You know, we're just fellow citizens like everybody else. And uh, I think we need to kind of relate to people on that level. And uh, scientists sometimes aren't very good at that. Uh, we tend to be locked away in the laboratory. We're kind of nerdy. We're not exactly the most fun, extroverted party goers you might imagine. <laughs> I don't so, know. Well, <laughs> well, speaking for myself anyway. Um, and so, um, you know, not 
having the same kind of cachet as like celebrities and you know sports heroes and things like that. So I think um, maybe we're getting our voices out. Um, but I I really want scientists to stop asking you know what can the government do for me? What can Americans do for science? But instead, let's show Americans what science is doing for them. Uh, science is doing so much to improve our health, improve our lives, improve our economy and our security. I think when people understand that and also realize that um, scientists are just like you and me, they're just regular folks. About 80% of Americans say they don't know a scientist. And of course they do. They just might not think of their brother-in-law who works at the pharmaceutical company as a scientist, but of course they are. Or that your doctor is a scientist. Yeah, they are. And so I think scientists need to kind of get out of their lab coats, get out of the ivory tower and remind folks, hey, we're just like you. We get up in the morning and you know we make our breakfast and worry about paying our mortgage and getting our kids to soccer just like everybody else. But yet many scientists are working all day for the rest of America, trying to find cures for disease, uh, making sure the water is safe. And now uh, we have the added benefit of being told by members of Congress and our president that we're liars and cheats and frauds. And some actually get death threats on a routine basis. And you know that's the, uh, that's the thanks they get for just working for regular Americans. So I think scientists need to do kind of say that a little bit more and not be so shy about kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, we're working for you. Um, you're attacking science. You're just attacking yourselves, folks. Um, this is not good for America. It's not about science. It's about you know our you know well-being as a nation, and that's really what's under threat today. If you're just joining us, we're talking about science and discovery and the current climate for that in America. I'm Jane McMillan, and my guest is Dr. John Foley. He is the executive director of the California Academy of Sciences. There was a time in America, um, especially after World War II in the 50s and 60s and even in the 70s, when children were fascinated and people in general were fascinated with the new yeah. things being discovered and and talked about in the news, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in in you know restaurants and in casual conversation because it was part of everyone's life. It was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the technology boom, although that kind of gave us a reason to be personally involved with our handheld devices, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so maybe not the same thing. But w- as a scientist, are are you seeing that same sense of awe in the American populace in in what's being discovered uh, or worked on? Well, you know, I, I I think it's still there, but you yeah, you raise a great point in the the, the heady days of you know after Sputnik and the Russians, mm-hmm. you know, putting something into orbit, and then the space race and our you know race to the moon, and then the discoveries of you know uh, going out into Jupiter and Saturn and landing on Mars and all you know it's incredible kind of discoveries and inspiration, um, even our science fiction you know of you know like Star Trek and Star Wars kind of you know inspiring young kids. We had uh, wonderful writers and people like Carl. Sagan kind of popularizing science. Yeah. We had huge breakthroughs in biology and environment and all these amazing things. Um, Americans were really lucky to have not only great science, but great science communicators to kind of share that story. I think that's still happening today, but it's, um, I think we're just in a much noisier landscape where it's hard to focus on anything. Uh, I think we're getting a little bit dumber about science and politics and uh, finances and a whole bunch of things. There's just a lot more chatter and a lot less signal to it. Um, we all have to work on that. But you mentioned awe. Um, that's the business I'm in, actually, at the Academy. Um, 
uh, one thing that's great about museums and parks and aquariums and things like that is they, they capture people with a moment of awe and wonder. So that's what we try to do um, when we build an, an experience uh, where we want to talk about climate change, for example, a very you know controversial topic to some folks. We don't build an exhibit called Climate Change, Here Are the Facts. That doesn't work. So what we do is we build an exhibit with a coral reef in the middle of it, or a tropical rainforest, or beautiful redwood trees, or whales, or something that everybody loves. And then when you have that moment of engagement where people are opening up their hearts a little bit, then you can start to have a conversation about things that are happening on the planet. So I don't care if people voted for Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whatever. They're going to walk through an exhibit with their kids about a coral reef and say, wow, that's beautiful. And then they might be willing to have a conversation about, hey, guess what? The oceans are warming and these threats are showing up in our reefs. And uh, I find that that actually works pretty well. But if you hit people over the head right away with, you know, here are the policy implications of carbon and taxing, you know, people get their hackles up and they divide along ideological lines. But I've never met anybody who's anti-whales or hates a redwood tree. So um, the lucky thing about science is we deal with some of the most magnificent and beautiful things in the world, in the universe, actually. And uh, we can share that wonder and awe and joy of discovery. And I think that's something we all have a little bit. So I think scientists need to do a a little bit better job of um, being human and showing the kind of wonders of the world around us. And that's a great way to kind of engage folks and uh, bring people into the tent. And we can have deeper, you know, deeper conversations. Even when we disagree, they're respectful and based on a moment of trust and a moment of a shared experience. And that's pretty cool. Let's talk about how you're communicating all of that at the Academy of Sciences, yeah, which of yeah, course yeah. is the umbrella for the Steinhardt and the planetarium and yeah. the. So, so tell us about what's going on at the Academy of Sciences mm-hmm. first here at the actual facility, and then we'll talk about some of the research you're doing. Yeah, well, it's a very exciting time at the Cal Academy, um, and I hope people in San Francisco realize what a jewel we have in this city because the Cal Academy is the third largest natural history museum in the country. Uh, it's the only one in the world that includes an aquarium a natural history museum, and a planetarium all under one roof. Um, You want to do that in one building? There's only one on the planet, and this is it. Um, But we're also expanding our mission into areas around uh, the environment and sustainability. We'll continue to focus on evolution and natural history and kind of describing the world around us, but it's now really imperative to kind of show people what the future of life and the future of the planet would look like and how we can get engaged in that. So we're launching big, bold initiatives uh, right here in the academy, but also worldwide around coral reefs, for example. Um, We have the world largest indoor coral reef exhibit, uh, but we're also launching expeditions all over the world discovering new kinds of corals and how they're changing from climate change. We've also invented new techniques to restore coral reefs around the world and giving that away to environmental groups. Uh, In fact, we're now launching the world's largest coral restoration project in the Caribbean with the Nature Conservancy and a group called SeaCore. And uh, that's incredibly exciting. So within the academy, we show how that science is done and how it's happening, but we're really having big impacts all around the world right now, which is truly, truly exciting. 
So right now we have a great corals exhibit. We have some other amazing new exhibits in our rainforest. We have a whole new butterfly wing added to the rainforest bola, which is very, very cool. Um, we have outstanding planetarium shows, including Habitat Earth and a show called Incoming hmm. about asteroids and comets, which are made right here by people who used to work at Pixar and Lucasfilm, <laughs> working for the Academy now. Just kind of geniuses at visualization and technology. So there's a lot of really cool things happening. And this summer, I'm not sure I'm supposed to announce this, but nobody else from the Academy is here. We're going to have a great <laughs> new exhibit on pterosaurs, on wow. the, the flying dinosaur-like creatures like pterodactyls and things like that. That'll be a big summer exhibit. But as you say, we've uh, we've started now to expand our mission. Uh, we want to make a difference all over the country and all over the world. So what we've been doing is taking the educational programs we used to deliver just in the museum mm -hmm. and in San Francisco school area uh, kids. We've now been reaching out nationally. We've been creating kind of web-based uh, teaching modules and multimedia. And now they're being used in all 50 states and, in fact, 77 other countries. We created about 150 million classroom experiences last year all over the world. If you go to calacademy.org and there's a little button at the top that says for educators. And we give away some of the world's most beautiful kind of teaching materials completely for free around the environment, around basic biology, mainly for middle school and high school teachers. But they're also aligned with teaching standards used across the country. We've also launched kind of, um, since you're in the media business, we decided to get in that a little bit. And we launched a web-based magazine called Biographic, um, biographic.com. Uh, I'm a little biased, but I think it's the most beautiful web magazine on the planet, period. It's just gorgeously produced. Uh, we're working with a, a really cool company here in San Francisco called Storied to put this up. It's a very immersive, kind of incredible reading experience, but with uh, incredible video and photography interwoven with it. It's just, you will never see anything else quite like it. It's just gorgeous. But then we're giving away all of those stories to other magazines like The Atlantic Monthly or uh, Scientific American or Wired, Fast Company, uh, The Guardian newspapers in the UK. And together with about 15 partners, we're reaching almost 80 million people a month. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's almost a billion people at the end of the year. And I should say in San Francisco, too, if you don't mind, uh, while we're kind of reaching out into the national and global arenas, we are doubling down on our commitment to the Bay Area. Uh, I'm really proud to say we're launching something called the Academy for All, which is a promise to every kid in the Bay Area that they should be able to come to the Cal Academy without barriers. I don't want the next, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or the next Sylvia Earle or Rachel Carson to not go to a science museum because they couldn't afford it or they couldn't get there or their parents didn't have time to go. So we want to make sure that we have enough free days and lower admission prices when we can to bring people in if that's the limiting factor. But often we find that it's transportation, maybe from the East Bay or parts of the South Bay. It's hard to get here. So we often uh, go and hire buses to go get kids and bring them to the academy uh, at our expense or maybe with a corporate partner or, or a foundation. So that's really cool. But also we're paying a lot more attention to diversity. We want to make sure that everybody feels welcome at the Academy and they see themselves when they come to the Academy and it doesn't feel like something for other people. It's their home too. And uh, we're really proud of that. In the coming years, we're going to be really focusing on, I think, uh, a crucial issue in education and uh, here in the Bay Area of equality and access and affordability, something that we all have to take seriously. From what you've just described, I think uh, parents and teachers and everybody is going to be interested in this. So we'll put a link to your website yeah. on our website, which is uh, cbssf.com, or 
we can go directly to Cal Academy of Sciences, correct? Yeah, uh, calacademy.org. Uh, one of the things you can go there and learn about our programming. Uh, you can see when we have the upcoming free days. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, neighborhood free days too, which I really like for uh, people in San Francisco, just based on your zip code. You can come by different times of the year for free. And of course, about once a quarter, we have it for anybody in the world who wants to come by for free on a weekend, which is really fun. So just go there and check that out. But also our programs like nightlife and things we have going on in the planetarium, new exhibits. So it's always changing and always a lot of fun and really one truly a world-class, excellent place. I'm just so thrilled to be able to be here and uh, lead this fine organization and all the great people that work there. Well, you've you've made an incredible invitation and pitch uh, for folks to visit the <laughs> academy, and I thank you for that. Let me ask, as we're winding down, uh, and and take it back out to the larger world again, and just ask you, as uh, a father, as a member of this community, mm-hmm. as uh, of course with your knowledge as, as a scientist, but what are you most worried about? What is what is the most immediate threat uh, to our health, our safety? Uh, we didn't even get into the planet's biodiversity, which yeah. is such a gift and so threatened. But what, what should what should our hair feel on fire about first, in terms of these challenges we've talked about? We should be worried about things like climate change, the loss of biodiversity, that our food system isn't even remotely sustainable, that our water systems can flip us from droughts to floods overnight and cause all sorts of havoc. We have a lot of work to do. But I also want to caution us to not be looking at the glass as half empty and broken. In fact, there's a lot of opportunity to fix this world and make it better. Uh, in fact, you know, everything we need to do to fix the energy system, the food system, our water, and make this world better for future generations is at our fingertips. And here in California, we have incredible innovations, whether it's you know Elon Musk uh, and Tesla and Solar City or whatever, or you know Governor Brown and you know, what we're doing at places like the Academy and what's happening in this part of the world. Um, we have more opportunities at our fingertips if we choose to seize them than we have challenges before us. So while this is probably the most scary moment in human history from some points of view, I'm actually still an optimist. I think we might just pull it off. But it requires that we, you know, we get up every day and work hard and uh, have hope and uh, feel that kind of obligation to future generations that, that our parents had for us. You know, I, this sounds corny, but I, I still believe in that old American dream, not the one of, you know, get rich quick and be a billionaire. You know, that, that's just, you know, well, you know, that's not interesting. The old American dream is like, you know, work hard, play fair, and make sure your kids have a better world than you had. And I believe in that still. And I think most people in their heart of hearts still do. So why aren't we acting like it? We used to. And uh, that's what would make America great again, is building a better world for people who come after us. And science could be part of that. So worry was the wrong word for me to use. Mm-hmm. What's the action? What's What are the actions that we as individuals in our daily lives should be taking to impact this, what seems to be a huge issue that a lot of us don't know intimately, yeah. but we know the ramifications of it. Well, there's, uh, gosh, um, there's so many things we could all be doing. First, um, in the realm of kind of 
politics with a lowercase p. I don't mean partisanship or elections. I just mean how we conduct ourselves. I think we need people to stand up for science and say, hey, wait a minute, facts matter. I might not like that fact, but I want to know what the scientists are saying, even if it's uncomfortable. So if we could all be a little bit better of standing up for science and being kind of truth ambassadors and calling kind of BS when we see it from our political leaders, that would be a good thing. Uh, but then our daily lives, though, uh, you know, in terms of our daily actions and choices around making the environment better, uh, for example, with food, um, the biggest single problem around our food system is actually food waste. Uh, we waste about a third to 50% of all the food we buy and all the food we grow. And that means all the water it took, all the land it took, all the chemicals it took, all the biodiversity that was affected. Um, reducing meat consumption a little bit, not saying everybody becomes a vegan overnight, though you know, that might be helpful. Um, but cutting back on beef consumption, especially, that would help with water and land and all sorts of environmental issues. On energy, uh, look for energy efficiency. Uh, the next time you get a new car, get a fuel-efficient variety, please. Uh, or a new hybrid or a plug-in. You get special tax breaks, and you get to go in the commuter lane. It's really cool. Um, you also can look at lighting and um, new refrigeration systems. Things you know When you normally have to replace something, get the best kind, because it's going to save you money. On water, uh, gosh, low-flow shower heads, better uh, toilets, better washing machines. I would never ask anybody to do anything that um, didn't also benefit benefit them economically in terms of quality of life and their larger environment. It turns out that uh, building a better, sustainable future isn't a sacrifice. It's just being a little smarter. Investment. Yeah, a little investment. And we can make a sustainable world a better world, a fun world, a world that's more engaging, more exciting, and more prosperous and better for us and our kids. It just requires a little bit of innovation and hard work, which Californians have led the world in for a long time. And I think it's time for us to do that again. Dr. Jonathan Foley, Executive Director of the California Academy of Sciences, thank you for visiting us again on In-Depth. Come back. Oh, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. And thank you all for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.